What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. When your children are not happy, it is natural for you to want to fix their feelings. And in doing so, you're doing them disservice. So come to terms with how you feel. Take a few deep breaths, even one, so that your nervous system doesn't share with them a silent panic that you're not comfortable with their challenging feelings. And just sit next to them as they move through them. Because that's what we need to be resilient. We need to be able to be in these challenging feelings and know that we're not alone. Not that somebody's like, you're upset, let me fix it. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage Podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is Dr. Eliza Pressman. She is a developmental psychologist with over 15 years of experience working with families. Eliza co-founded Seedlings Group and the Mount Sinai Parenting Center and hosts the highly popular Raising Good Humans podcast to empower and educate parents on the latest research and evidence-based practices regarding child development and parenting. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Dr. Eliza Pressman to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Eliza, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to, to chat with you and to dive into your work. You're somebody that has been on my radar for quite some time because I have a lot of parents who listen to this podcast. And as somebody who's a trainer and who works with kids, I get asked a ton of questions from both a kid's perspective and a parent's perspective on how to navigate like certain challenges. And I can only speak from my own experience. So I wanted to get an expert on here to help me answer some of those questions. But before we get into all that, I want to talk a bit about like you and, and your parenting. So I know that we all have our shortcomings with the expertise that we have, right? With certain things. So what has been like a recent mistake maybe you've made as a parent? What did you learn from it? What did you fix? And then how has it made you stronger? That tiny question. <laughs> um, I will tell you the biggest parenting mistake that I'm, I mean, I've made so many parenting mistakes, <laughs> but one that really strikes me I'm trying to think if this is that, well, I'm going to answer this. And if it's not a satisfying answer, I have plenty more, but I was thinking about my, I have one daughter who's very introverted and very different from my personality. And this was quite a few years ago. We were sitting at dinner. I have another daughter who's loud and chatty and, you know, I never wonder what she's thinking. <laughs> and, and she's also very smiley. And I tend to be pretty sunny myself. And I looked over at my younger daughter and I said, what's wrong? You're, you seem upset. And she said to me, you say this all the time. And I really want you to understand that just because I'm not smiling doesn't mean I'm not happy. And it was such a, 
given what I do, that I didn't pick up on that for years. She was seven at the time, but that it took me so long to not try to interpret her personality with my personality's approach to life. And it was like a, just a real moment where I remembered this child's not feeling particularly accepted for who she is and seen because I'm busy forgetting about what's called theory of mind, where you can understand that other people think and feel different things about the same moments and they, their facial expression, you know, like things are just different. So it seems not like a huge parenting mistake. I mean, I've also gotten divorced and moved a bunch of times. I feel like those are much bigger mistakes, but this particular moment felt like I forgot my own knowledge in the context of interpersonal interactions with my kid. And in the process, I realized I was kind of pressuring her to put on a show just to make me feel better about how she was moving through the day. Thanks for sharing that. And I think that was a perfect answer because it actually is a, is a great segue into one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. And that is that we live in this world that tells you in order to be successful, that you have to be like happy all the time. And I think that puts a lot of pressure on parents and kids as well to know that if their kid isn't happy, then they're not doing a good job as a parent. If their kid isn't happy, that means they must be like going down a really dark path. And in reality, it's just life's tough. So what kind of tips do you give to other parents or on the podcast or in your work to help people parent in a way that they're not putting so much pressure on themselves and the kids when it comes to happiness and they're able to just let kids be kids? The most important message is not only can you, are you not failing as a parent if your child isn't always happy, but if I use the concept of failing as a parent, which I really don't, I would say you would be if your child is always happy because humans are not always happy. And it is a, it's selling really false, a false bill of goods to young children and children and teenagers to suggest that when they are feeling the rainbow of feelings that exist in the world, there's such a range that there's something wrong with any of them, including sadness, fear, whatever the feelings are that are considered negative, but they're just more challenging feelings. So if you don't allow your kids to see that you're comfortable with their uncomfortable feelings, they grow up thinking there's something wrong with them. And then of course you grow up and know that you're not always happy. And then you think that you're broken when in fact you're a person, people are not always happy and well-adjusted people are most certainly not always happy. So what I tell parents is when your children are not happy, it is natural for you to want to fix their feelings. And in doing so, you're doing them disservice. So come to terms with how you feel. Take a few deep breaths, even one, so that your nervous system doesn't share with them a silent panic that you're not comfortable with their challenging feelings. And just sit next to them as they move through them because that's what we need to be resilient. We need to be able to be in these challenging feelings and know that we're not alone. Not that somebody's like, you're upset, let me fix it. It's so true. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that I've heard that can be made as a parent is not learning to self-regulate yourself when helping your kids. Because I, th I think uh, my own personal experience, I think modeling goes a long way. Course. So do you, do you encourage parents to self-regulate and be 
like other than taking a few deep breaths, like what are a few like daily practices that people can do to learn how to self-regulate themselves so that they can be more resourceful to their kids when their kids maybe are struggling? Well, I will say that a deep breath is more powerful than any parenting tool in any toolkit. So I really don't want to blow it off because you cannot be a self-regulated person without being a breathing person. Because what happens to your brain when you are, you have a stress response is that your alarm bells go off that you know you're being chased by a bear or a tiger and you have to fight, flight, or freeze. And so you can't self-regulate unless you breathe. And the breathing is the passcode to your alarm because it's saying like, there's no bear, there's no tiger, you're safe. Now we can deal with what's going on. And breath is all you need. You can't actually have a stress response while breathing because they're separate autonomic responses. So the practice of every day, and that's why meditation is such good brain workout, because when you do that every day, you are practicing getting your body used to taking breaths intentionally and bringing yourself back to a place of being in this flow state that is not going to allow for a panicked reactive stress response. And when you do it, even for a few minutes a day, you're just working out that muscle so that in the heat of the moment, it comes more naturally to you just taking a breath. And if you think about it, anytime you see your child do something before you say something, if you, as a daily practice, especially for things that don't matter as much to you, you know, just take a breath and then make your comment, ask them to do something, whatever it is, say your no's or your yes. And also's you'll get really good at it. But that, that is probably the number one, number two, and number three way to become more self-regulated is to, is to find whatever gets you to pause and breathe for some people, it's having a mantra like I'm not being chased by a bear can be as it can be very simple. Right now, I'm not being chased by a bear. My child is not being chased by a bear. I can breathe and then address this. In the time that it takes you to say this, you will have not been reactive. You will have been self-regulated. So anything that stops you from just going right on autopilot and reacting instead of having an intention is really how you are self-regulated and how you model it for kids. And we know through tons of research that kids have a much higher chance of being self-regulated as adults if they are raised by adults who are self-regulated. This is not, it's funny when some studies need tons of funding and replication for decades, they're very obvious. And, and I'm really glad that you brought that up because I think it really is so important for people to remember. And I think it creates a big disconnect when parents are telling you, like, calm down, calm down, calm down. And yet they're not calm themselves. And like, wait a minute, like you're telling me to calm down. You're not calm. Like, this doesn't make any sense to me. And I want to talk about like communication because you brought up a really good point when you were talking about your daughter and that some kids just are shut down. Right. And some kids don't want to open up to their parents. Maybe they don't feel secure enough or they're afraid. And it's not just them being introverted. So what do you think a parent can do that has that has a kid that just won't open up to them? That no matter what, no matter what they say to them, they're just they, the answer is I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. 
and you never can really, they can never really understand like what's going on in their lives. Well, I think there are a couple of things to do. First is, I mean, not to beat a dead horse here, but take a breath and regulate yourself because when you go in, especially with kids, as they get older, when you have an agenda, like I want to know what's inside, or I want to figure out how you're doing. They, they know, and they close up more for for some kids. There are other kids who will talk all day. So it really just depends on what you get. So there's temperament. That's one factor with kids who they want to talk, but it's just not natural for them. And they don't, they need it in small doses. They don't, you know, it's depleting for them. So when you have lengthy conversations, because you are good at chatting, that doesn't mean it doesn't deplete someone else and they need to do it in more, you know, like five minute doses. So the first thing is you're going to take a breath. The second is who is your child? Is it because they just need less stimulation and talking and more like physiological connection? So then you need to find something that you enjoy together. So your child doesn't want to talk, but they'll play lots of video games and you hate video games. So you're fighting with them. You don't want them to be on video games. Pivot and say, what's your favorite video game? Teach me how to do it. That's it. And then through playing and finding a connection that's together, that is in the service of getting to know something that your child is interested in, not that you're interested in, that it's not your wisdom you're giving your kid or your tennis game that you're teaching your kid. It's letting them drive. What are they interested in? Okay. They're interested in video games. I hate video games, but whatever. You're an adult. You're a curious person. Teach me how to get smarter about this is a sentence to say all the time. Because if you're a curious person, you can find an interest in how, you know, my, my mug was made. It doesn't, it doesn't really matter. So get curious about something your child is into. Let them just teach you about it. Most kids who don't want to share their feelings and don't want to talk about things do have interests and do share even the quietest people, their interests, what they know, because it's something they've committed to. So whatever that is, let them share it with you and connect over it. And then over time, you'll sprinkle in some questions about life and you'll hear from them, but you really need to find a way in through connection and it has to be that you lift the pressure of connection having to happen on your terms. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offers plant-based nutrition made with high quality ingredients. Each Organifi blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with ingredients that are organic and free of fillers and contain less than three grams of sugar per serving. This includes Organifi green juice, which I am now using in my smoothies, either after a workout or for a great on-the-go snack. It's loaded with essential superfoods and a clinical dose of ashwagandha. It helps reduce stress and support healthy cortisol levels. Cutting down on caffeine is a big initiative of mine as we head into the new year, and Organifi's Red Juice is gonna help me do just that. It's basically a superfood fruit punch that gives me a jolt of energy without the caffeine, and it only has two grams of sugar. If you aren't into smoothies, don't worry. Organifi products are super easy to mix, and you can add one scoop to a glass of water. So go to www.organifi.com forward slash Doug and use code Doug for 20% off your order. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com forward slash Doug and use the code Doug for 20% off any item. Now back to the show. You brought up something that I think is a game changer for 
communicating with, I think communicating with anybody is you really have to learn. You have to be able to relate to that person. You have to be able to meet them where they're at. And I think when you like play a video game or something with your kid that they like, it creates this bridge for a deeper connection where now you can start to ask them about stuff. If you sense something's up, now you're in a more comfortable place for them where it's not at the dinner table and you're just staring at them, like with this look on your face, like what's going on? Like, how was school? Like what's going on? And, and the kids in like 13 and just wants to like eat his dinner and go play video games. I'm sure he feels pretty intimidated, right? Like, what do you think is important for parents when their kids do struggle and have hard times? Because it's like, sometimes you're damned if you do damned, if you don't, like you want to fix it as a parent or you do nothing. And a lot of times people haven't mastered the in-between. So how do you teach parents to handle kids when they slip up in school, or maybe they start um, engaging in behaviors that aren't healthy for them and that sort of thing? If your child is struggling, know that so many kids are struggling right now. Mental health is in such crisis for young people. And it was bad before the pandemic. It's gotten exponentially worse. And it is important to get support for the adults who are caring for kids who are struggling and also for the kids. And one of the ways to tell the difference between temperament and struggle is if you see a difference in what they are enjoying, like, do they not even get joy from the things that they yesterday thought were joy making? And are they changing routines and habits drastically? Are they nasty? You know, an angry kid in particular, anxiety and depression, more anxiety than depression, but they look very mean. Sometimes they don't look like they do in adults. It can look like your kid is all of a sudden incredibly on edge and snapping. And you think they have anger management issues and it's all underlying anxiety. So those kinds of things you just want to look at. And then parents can just explicitly state, I can see you're struggling. Like, I don't want us to be in this place of fighting all the time. So I want to do two things. One, I want to restart. I want to make a list with you of what you feel are freedoms that you want and what you feel are freedoms that are appropriate and fair. And I want to work on how to get you there. And that's more for older kids, but you can do that with younger kids too. It's just the freedoms are going to be like TV. And so I want to figure this out with you. And I also want to say that there are some things that I have to say no to because my whole job is to make sure that you are loved and safe and you're going to want to push it. That's your job. And I'm here to stay steady, but be open so that I'm changing as you change and grow and evolve. And if you need to, or you're really worried, you can say, I'm worried about you. Something's going on and I don't know how to help you. So I want to find support for you where you can feel safe and it's not me. And I wonder what would make you feel most comfortable? Do you want to talk to your pediatrician? Do you want me to find you a therapist? Is there someone at school that you're comfortable with? Or what I can tell you is that I love you and I'll do whatever it takes to, to figure this out. And you are not alone. And also for parents who have kids who will talk to them, it's about just saying, I want to check in what's going on with you. How have you been feeling? There, there are big changes happening. So it's also validating kids. Uh, like there's nothing wrong with you. If I am suggesting a therapist, there's nothing wrong with you. If you are feeling anxious, there's nothing wrong with you. If you feel sad right now, 
these are very typical feelings, but people don't talk about them as much because people for various reasons feel like those are the ones you're supposed to keep to yourself and you don't have to keep to yourself with me. And I think asking questions and gaining a deeper understanding of what your kid is going through, it seems is something that is incredibly powerful because I just, I'm just putting myself in like a kid's shoes as you're saying that. And I'm thinking to myself, like what my dad used to do, which was he would come down on me and he would just yell and raise his voice and stuff. And maybe that's all he knew, but it didn't work. Like I would shut down more. I would get more defensive because like, I didn't feel comfortable like opening up at times. And that's not necessarily me blaming my dad for some of the problems that I endured. That was just a fact of like what happened. That's what he knew. Yeah. And I think when you are able to ask questions, you at least get the kids to have some sense of independence and can open up and share from their perspective on what they truly want or what they truly need in that moment. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing more powerful than curiosity with, with kids and teenagers because, or people, because when you're curious for deeply curious about not in a nosy way, in a, you know, I want to know you like for real. I want to see you and raise you the person that you are. And I'm just curious, what do you think about blah, blah, blah? Like it's not in the service of getting to the bottom of something or anything. It's just curiosity, but also saying to kids when they do tell you something, biting your tongue, like as much as possible, if you're not used to them sharing and you're so excited that they're sharing that you, you know, you over ask or you push more stop. You got a little bit, let them drive. And if they want to just stop talking about it and walk away, that's not the time to say like, wait, I want to hear more. It's the time to just thank them for talking. And, you know, you want to be a little bit more of a cat, not a dog. <laughs> and um, that's very hard for some of us, but it's just, just like curiosity. If your kid doesn't want to talk about themselves, you can say, how are your friends doing? Like it's, there've been a lot of changes. Like Unmasking, for example, when you've gone through puberty and you went from being a little kid to being a pimply teenager and had got to be under a mask for a lot of people, it was kind of awesome. For a lot of kids, it was traumatic. It just really depends on the kids and the circumstances. But there are a ton of kids right now we're seeing who don't want to take their masks off when they're allowed to because it's been really protective for them. So one thing you can just say is there have been changes. There's a lot going on right now. I'm curious, how are your friends handling it? Like how many kids are taking their masks off in school? I'm wondering what that feels like instead of what do you feel like? Because that's just easier when you're sometimes talking about other people. You mentioned that kids are really struggling now with, with mental health. I know addiction rates are up. Suicide rates are up. Like everything is up. What do you think is the root of all this? I mean, is it, I know it's been going up since before the pandemic. Do you think it's technology? Do you think it's the divorce rate? Do you think it's lack of stability? Do you think it's pressure? Like, what do you think it is? <laughs> I think, I think when you look at the science where, you know, a lot of things fall a little bit more flat or they're more complex, like is social media leading us to depression and if depression rates in teens are going up and social media has gone up and they got worse starting with iPhones and social media, doesn't it stand to reason that that's causal? But we don't actually see that it's causal in everybody because what it is, is for kids who were doing well before, sometimes social media is even better for them. They're using it in a positive way. They're making connections with people. They're putting out their fundraisers for 
a cause, they're using it in a positive way. For kids who already were being bullied or struggling or having mental health issues, it exacerbated it exponentially. So I think part of this is there isn't one good answer to why the rates of all of these mental health challenges are ramping up, but there is one that we have in our control because you can't control DNA, you can't control technology, you can't control that there's a war, you can't control pandemic. The only thing that we have in our control is our own behavior and how we connect with other people. So for parents who have kids, the most important protective factor for any child, whether they are in really complicated, difficult environments or seemingly easy breezy ones, number one protective factor, environmental protective, number one protective factor, environmental protective factor for kids who are under chronic stress is having one loving, supportive caregiver who has appropriate boundaries. That's it. It is so powerful. So your focus as a parent, to me, that's very heartening. To me, it's like, oh, I can control me. I can't control the teacher, the school, the environment, the world, nothing, but I can control that I take a breath that I look at my child for who they are, that I'm there for them when they come home, that I listen when they're in pain, that I'm not riding them all the time. There are things, you know, that I, that I'm open for their bids for attention. Those things are in our control. And the only way for them to be in our control is if we get our act together (laughs) mentally ourselves, because if you're overwhelmed and struggling and anxious and angry and drinking and all, you know, whatever, you can't be there to be the buffering impact for your child's mental health. I think the the thing that has happened most over the last two years for the majority of people is a lack of connection, both inside the household and in the greater world. And connection is the most protective thing we have for our mental health. So of course, all these things taken together the thing we can do is find connection. The thing that has not been happening is connection. So I think that's probably at the heart of the majority of the increases. And then of course, there's all the other stuff that's not social emotional. I mean, I've heard connection is so important for so many things, whether it be kids' mental health, recovering from addiction, our own physical health, our own mental health, like everything, right? And you mentioned like parents doing things that their kids like to do, whether it's playing video games or maybe it's like uh, like playing with Legos. Like, I don't, I don't know what, depending on who, who the kid is. Right. But what are some other like proactive things that parents can do in the house with the kids to just maybe schedule it, to build connection? Like tonight, we're going to watch a movie or we're going to watch a show or, or something, just something of that nature. So that like, they're almost building that muscle like over time. Well, first I think, We really don't, we don't, it doesn't need to be big. Like you just said, watching a TV show. There are two ways to watch a TV show connected with your kid cuddling and like excited to be in it and watching it while you're texting and on your computer and kind of passing the time. If you find, it sounds so silly, but like if you find as a family that you have a series that you're watching together or you do movie night every Friday or you pick Wednesday is the day we have dessert before dinner or these little rituals and routines are building connections. And so game night, anything that's, it could, it could also just be somebody picks, you know, each family member gets to pick out of a jar uh, question of the week that everybody has to answer. It really doesn't matter or make one up. It's that you're doing things that 
your kids are going to roll their eyes. Sometimes younger kids won't, but older kids might roll their eyes. They're doing it anyway. And it's, it's getting in their system. It's a routine routines, create safety. And so when things feel unsafe, the best thing to kind of go back to are those things you can count on, whether it's that your breakfast is always going to be in the kitchen or that you're always having movie and pizza on Fridays. It doesn't really matter. And some of it can be the stuff that you think isn't good parenting, like watching TV late at night and, you know, connecting with your teenager over Grey's Anatomy. It doesn't really need to be what, you know, some high quality excursion to um, an event that feels cultural and like learning oriented. It's just whatever feels doable for you as a family and what your bandwidth is. So if I'm, I think I was like many parents during the pandemic, we watched much more TV than I have ever allowed in my house. Like I have never been a TV person and I certainly didn't have TV during the week and blah, blah, blah. That ship sailed within a week of the pandemic. I mean, I I have an easier time with self-acceptance because of what I do. (laughs) but I, instead of saying like, Oh, I'm really failing as a parent. I just embraced like, okay, let's do this in some intentional way. Let's each make a list of like the movies we've always wanted to watch together or the series that we wanted to share with each other. And let's do it instead of, because I didn't have the bandwidth to learn how to make bread. Like that wasn't in, that wasn't going to happen. So it's really just finding what's in your bandwidth because my, I definitely, a risk of my job is parents feeling overwhelmed. Like I can't do all of that. So I'd rather it just be know yourself. What are you able to connect over? It also can be working out, like getting outside, doing, you know, agreeing to do a seven minute sun salutation together in the morning as a habit. It's just anything that's doable, predictable, and you can practice on a regular basis. You brought up the fitness component, which I love because I've been a trainer for over a decade. And I wanted to know like how important is movement is physical health when it comes to like raising good humans. It is so important. I mean, all the science points to the power of physical movement and mental health, every bit of it. So you need your kids to get physical activity every single day. That is why, you know, policy makers have, been the good ones fight hard to make sure that in schools there's required amounts of physical activity. The power of just going for a walk, if nothing else, just getting outside and walking is going to make a huge difference in the wiring of habits that are going to help your child become mentally healthy adults. Because we know that adults who take the time each day, even for a half hour walk, which sounds overwhelming to a lot of people. It saves you time. You sleep better. Your mood and energy are better. Your physical health is better. Your mental health is connected so closely with your physical health and on and on and on. So yeah, if you have a kid who's overwhelmed with how much work they have and their extracurricular activities are not physical in their orientation, like that is when you say, okay, let's sit together and figure out how we can carve out time in the day. And maybe it's an after dinner walk. It doesn't matter. And it can be your special time with them, but it's really important. And remember that we have to be rewired. So any new habits for adults are real, real hard. Right. 
<laughs> as you know. For sure. Well, I, yeah. And then I don't have kids, so I don't know that side of things, but I trained kids who have had mental health struggles and struggle with addiction. When they start working out, I see this tremendous change in them. And I see the dynamic of their, their household change. I see their relationship with themselves change and the relationship with their parents change. And it makes me so happy when you see that because I think the fitness is one of the most underutilized tools and fitness in general, no matter if you walk, do yoga, whatever it is, totally. When it comes to like healing from addiction or depression, trauma, that sort of thing. It's actually, it's a good point too, because I think adult, like parents need to get exercise. And I am guilty of saying like, I have no time. There is no time in the day. Well, we're gonna have to talk after this. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk. But what I know is that when I'm feeling like, well, then I'm not going to see my kids or we're not, you know, then I'm lucky because of where I am. We can walk across the street. There's a beautiful hike. So it doesn't have to be separate. You can combine your, your bonding time with your kid and the physical activity. But I will say, even if your kids don't want to do it and it doesn't feel like it's bonding, you just have to put that as one you just push through and you just say like, there are certain requirements like sunlight, water, and soil. You must exercise and have adequate nutrition and sleep or the conversation is pointless. I want to go back to something you said earlier, and you might not be able to answer this because I'm sure this is kind of like a hard thing and it's going to depend on the individual, but like you, you hit on like making sure like a parent isn't like riding their kid too hard and not being too hard on them. And you see this polarity where you hear parents are either way too easy on their kids and they're being helicopter parents and coddling them and making sure they have no problems. And then there's the other side that they're like super militant and they're coming down on them like really hard. Like, have you found maybe in your own parenting journey or even talking to some of the people you work with, is there a way to have a healthy balance so that you're kind of holding them accountable, but also providing a ton of love along the way? Yes. Because I mean, that is, there are three sort of well-established parenting styles. That's basically what you're addressing. And I mean, there are four, there's neglectful and we're not, you're probably not neglectful if you're listening to this. So, but the three are what's called authoritative, authoritarian, and permissive. And I'll start with the ones that are actually the extremes that you're talking about. So authoritarian parents are, because I said so, parents typically more controlling, very demanding, but they're not sensitive to their child's individual self. They don't exhibit a lot of, um, they might feel a ton of love, but they, for whatever, they, however they were parented or whatever is in them, they don't show a ton of love. And so it's all about the riding and the controlling and the getting the better, stronger, faster, but without the support. And on the other side of it is what's called permissive parenting, which is tons of love, best friends, almost like I'm this, my kid is my best friend. They tell me everything, but if they come to you and they are like, I don't want to go to school today, or I don't want to do this, you know, it scares me. You say, then you don't have to do anything. You know, I want to make you happy all the time. Let's not worry about it. And so that's not enough structure. That's like, great on the sensitivity, but not enough on the demands. And then there is what's Goldilocks parenting is what's called authoritative parenting, where you are completely comfortable saying, here's what I expect of you. And it can be high expectations. They just have to meet what is possible for that child. And they have to be willing to see that child. So you, it's not your hopes and dreams. It's not 
that you wanted a football player. And so you're going to ride them to practice, practice, practice because of their potential and all of this. It's like, who are you? What, what are your goals, child of mine that I love? And let me help you. And also, I don't love you because of your accomplishments. I love you forever. And so if you decide you're quitting that sport or you're, or you didn't get an A, that doesn't change my feelings and love for you. So those both need to be held very dearly, but the demands are important too. And expectations, because you don't want your kid to have a sense that their contributions to the world are irrelevant. So that's, I think how you strike the balance. You ask yourself the question, am I seeing my child? Am I allowing my child to be who they are? Are my expectations appropriate? Okay. Then I've done my job, you know, then yes, then you can push them, but you also want to look at how they're responding because sometimes we think it's effective, but for the most part, self-motivation, you need to have a combination of external motivators and internal motivators. But if you feel like your love rests on your accomplishments, you lose your connection with your parent, and you want to get out of there. Yeah, you see that a lot, right? You see like a parent sometimes trying to get their kid to live out their unfulfilled dreams, right? Specific. I mean, I, I've seen it with sports specifically, sports right? That happens a lot. Yeah. And it's tough. And I can't imagine how hard it, it must be as a parent now with everything going on with kids to try to make sure that you're doing doing right by them. But I do think, like you said, there are some things you can do to mitigate it and to, to do, do the best that you can. One of the things I wanted to, to ask you about is like, how do you get a kid or how do you encourage a kid to change like a bad habit or a behavior that maybe isn't aligned with the values of the household in a way that is going to move them to wanting to make that change versus them shutting down and just creating more tension in that relationship? Well, the first part is to take a a deep breath and decide what your values are, right? What are our family values? Because, you know, there has to be a separation, as you said before, like that you've seen parents who it's their, the kids are, the dreams of the parents are being fulfilled through the child, you know, Carl Jung said, there's no greater burden to children than the unlived life of the parent. You know, that's kind of a universal don't do it. (laughs) It's 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 a big parenting don't. But sometimes we don't know what our values are and how to separate them from our hopes and dreams. So first, I almost recommend doing a family mission statement, a personal mission statement, and then a family mission statement where you go over with your family what really matters to us. So what are the rules that we're going to set up in order for us to be better at these this family mission? And then what's the consequence if you don't honor our family mission? And get on board together. And then, you know, you say things like why it's a rule cuz how does it matter for your family? Like if your family's goal is let's say kindness is part of your family mission and your child is bullying someone in school, that goes against the very fabric of your family values in your household. So when you go against the fabric of the family values, there are always going to be consequences because it's our job to raise our kids in the context of the intentions of our values. That's like what we do. They can go off and grow up and say, I, to hell with kindness, it's the stupidest value. That's fine. But while you're raising them, you want to make sure that you don't give too many rules, but the rules that you give 
have great reasons behind them and you are not bending. And so, but then when it comes to other stuff, like, you know, when you have teenagers, you have to make contracts with them because if you're, otherwise it's just battle, constant battles. So it's contracts. Hey, what are your freedoms that you want? Right. Okay. So what's the the deal is you want to go to this, you want to start going to these parties. Let's do a contract of what you're going to do at these parties. And if you break the contract, you're not going to go to parties for a little while. Then we're going to start again. We're going to start with smaller parties because it turns out this bigger party was not, you weren't ready for it. And we'll go from there. But it's all like, it's not in the, you're being punished because you're a crappy kid. It's you made a mistake. It was too much for you developmentally to handle. It was too much of a temptation. Right now, being at a party with alcohol, even though you don't plan, you didn't want to be drinking and you didn't plan on it, you aren't in a place yet developmentally to say no to your friends. Let's not put you in that position. That's the framing versus you lied to me, you're a terrible kid, and I'm grounding you forever. And all of these things like build closer connections so that kids want to do right by you. And themselves. Yeah. And I think it gives them a sense of autonomy too. When they sign this contract, they know in a way that they're, they're making a choice. Right. So and then right. When they break it, it's like, look, I'm, I'm going right to the contract. This was our deal. You broke it. I don't have to fight with you. You don't have to convince me. You signed it. You decided to go against it and we'll get through it. And when you sign the contract, you can even say, I expect that we're both going to kind of blow it sometimes because there's stuff on your end as well. For sure. And I'm glad that you brought that up because I've heard that is a helpful tool for for families is creating some sort of agreement or family chart with values so that when the kid makes a mistake and the parent goes to hold, hold them accountable, they're able to point out like, listen, like you agreed to this is to be part of the family. You made that choice and then you can kind of figure out how to move forward in a way that's productive for both. The, the last thing I want to ask you and there's so many other things I want to go into, but just for the sake of time, I wanted to make sure we, we hit on this. And I know that you've talked about one of the mistakes that you made was you felt you made was divorce. And I think that's common now, like 50% of families are being split up. I come from a divorce home. What are some non-negotiables when it comes to divorce for the sake of the kids? Because you see a lot of people when they co-parent, it becomes this battle between mom and dad and who's right and who's wrong and the safety and the health of the kids just goes out the window. Okay. So to be clear, I'm not judging people who get divorced. I did it. So I just want to say they're going to, you can't control these, these things come up and it goes back to divorce. It's a stressor for kids. It's not, it's never like, yay, my parents got divorced except for in cases where they're relieved because there's been abuse or anything like that. But even still, it brings up complicated feelings. The thing that is negative about divorce is always about the way it is handled. It is never the divorce itself. So the non-negotiable is you do not bring your kids into the divorce. You do not put them in between. You don't expect them to pick a parent, a favorite parent. You don't ask them to give messages, deliver messages. You don't get sad when they have fun with the other parent. You don't get jealous if the other parent is dating someone or remarrying. You try to do what feels hard as hell, which is behave like a grown-up when you're feeling like a devastated teenager, but we have to do it. So, you know, 
if you were able to make a decision to have a child with someone, you were able to make the decision that you have to work in the service of that child to do the best divorce possible and figure out what you need in your life to surround you with enough support that it's possible so that you're not also leaning on your children to help you get through it. Because that's another big mistake that happens is leaning on your kids for your emotional support. They get to lean on you. You can be open with them about your feelings to a certain extent. You could say, I'm sorry, I'm if I look really sad right now, it's because this has been stressful. However, I know how to manage that. I have, you know, I have support systems, I have plans, I cry when I'm sad and then I move on. But you are not responsible for taking care of me or your other parent. Right. I think that's really, really good advice. I think that's a good place for us to stop because the odds are, if people are listening to this, that either somebody is divorced or they may get divorced just based on the statistics. And I think it's an important part because in my own journey, I've kind of, I've witnessed divorce in a negative way and it created intimacy issues and it created fear of relationships because of what I saw. And again, like I don't blame my parents. I just think it's just what happened. Right. And, and I see that a lot, even with people that I work with, with when parents are divorced, where it's just, where it's this constant battle of who's going to be like the superior parent to come out of the situation. And I just think in my understanding, it's not what it's about. It's about like, how can you co-parent together to prove to your kids that even though you know things didn't work out, you can still have a healthy relationship for the sake of them. It's a real gift also. Like fighting is not the problem. Like none of these things are a problem if you can model a healthy response, even a healthy making up, even a healthy way of communicating. Like we can be human beings in front of our kids. We just have to be healthy human beings. Right, for sure. I think that's, that's something like really important for people to remember. So Aliza, this has been amazing. You're awesome. And I will make sure to include the link to your social media and to your amazing podcast, Raising Good Humans. And I um, wanted to, to thank you once again for coming on. And for those who are listening, what I'd like you to do is to share a takeaway from our conversation. Maybe it was something that she said about communication. Maybe it was something that she said about the power of fitness, divorce, or maybe it was something she shared about the mistake that she made early on, whatever it was, tag her, tag myself, because we'd love to hear your feedback. And we once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and we'll see you next time.